Seen in real life, the hard outer casings or elytra of the jewel beetle naturally mimic gem-like precious treasures in terms of utter brilliance and beauty through their hardy metallic emerald iridescence. Used for centuries, these exoskeletons have been incorporated into decorative jewellery or to embellish clothing or objects. They were also used for symbolic purposes by numerous cultures to play a magical or protective role against evil spirits as as well as to denote kinship and social standing in some societies. Why? Because the elytra encapsulated life force and vitality conveyed by their non-fading colour. Jane Nicholas, in her book The Stumpwork, Goldwork and Surface Embroidery Collection, published by Sally Milner Publishing in 2004, describes these magnificent elytra as the emeralds of the insect world. Durable, almost weightless and spectacular in colour, these shimmering, greenish, bluish, purplish, sometimes even ranging into pink outer casings, deserve inclusion into a very special compartment of nature's very own highly collectible jewellery box. But what I wanted to discover was, has the beetle wing embroidery continued? And the answer is a definite yes. So let's resume the fascinating journey deeper into beetle wing embroidery. Hello and welcome to the Stitch Safari podcast, a sprightly and upbeat expedition into the alluringly appealing ambrosial world of stitch history, art and embroidery. Each fortnight, we'll trek through and discover the utilitarian, the decorative, the quirky and the just plain fun world that is the art of the needle. My name's Kathy Jack Copeland and I'm the Stitch Safari Expedition Leader. I'm an Australian textile artist, teacher, judge, blogger and stitch enthusiast, surprise, surprise, whose work in contemporary machine stitch became my business. Light yet hard, strong yet supple enough to be pierced with a needle or to be carefully cut with scissors, the jewel beetle elytra are perfect for use as an embellishment for embroidery. And solely due to their colour, they really stand out. They were the piece de resistance of decorative Indian embroidery, normally used for the Mughal elite, conveying high status, which was appropriated by the British during their colonisation of India from 1757 to 1947, turning the craft into a lucrative export market. 
During the Mughal era, 1526 to 1756, they were used to embellish traditional embroideries on silk brocades or cloth of gold for ceremonial robes and furnishings, with the finest examples belonging to royalty, such as a turban cloth richly embroidered in gold in a fish scale pattern encrusted with glittering beetle elytra. But they were also commonly used in other ancient Asian cultures, such as Thailand, Myanmar, China and Japan, for paintings, jewellery, ornaments and on textiles, where they were thought to possess the magical attributes of the beetle itself. Victoria Rivers' book, The Shining Cloth, published by Thames and Hudson in 1999, notes this. The peoples of the Amazon Basin, highland groups in Papua New Guinea and some of the hill tribes of Burma and northern Thailand used beetle wings along with brilliant orchid straw, feathers, shiny shells, claws and bones for personal adornment and were favoured ornaments of traditional head-hunting communities because of the encapsulated life force and vitality their non fading colours conveyed. Jane Nicholas devotes dedicated research into the beetle elytra in her book The Stump Work, Gold Work and Surface Embroidery Beetle Collection, noting this. Amazonian tribes used them as adornment in necklaces, ear ornaments and headpieces. The Naga women of northeast India used them to symbolise or indicate social rank, while the men used them as ear ornaments and to embellish coats worn on festive occasions. The people of the Papua New Guinea highlands strung them together to make armbands and headdresses, while in northern Thailand and Burma, the beetle elytra were used to decorate everyday clothing and funeral attire. The young unmarried women would wear singing shawls made from woven red blankets embellished with white beads and a fringe of beetle wings and bells which tinkled as they walked, helping to send the deceased safely to the afterworld. As a commodity, Beetle wings were harvested in the millions in the hardwood forests of Burma and northern Thailand for export to Calcutta for distribution. Beetle wing embroidery in England was seen as exotic and fanciful, experiencing their first wave of popularity from the 1820s, worn by the privileged for court gowns and on special occasions during the 1830s. English women in India had been donning gowns adorned with beetle wing embroidery from at least the 1780s. However, the Indians had been using them for much longer. Pieces of beetle wing embroidery could easily be picked up by tourists in bazaars across India with numerous pieces offered to museum collections. Extant gowns feature elytra decoration along the lower edges of the dresses. However, designs became more ornate and began to use the bootay or paisley motif which originated in Iran. 
This would predominate from the 1830s to the 1880s. <clears throat> and in some older embroideries, the ageing cloth surrounding the beetle wing embroidery has decayed and deteriorated. Yet the beetle wings still retain their iridescent sheen and sparkle. By the 1880s, colour began to creep into designs, first soft ivory, then variations of green, black and gold, all perfect foils for the magnificent colours of the elytra. In 1886, newspapers wrote of Constance Lloyd, wife of Oscar Wilde, wearing a beetle wing dress, while in the early 1880s, American Everett Wendell bought several dresses at an Indian market. One of these may have been worn by his mother in a portrait painted by English painter John Singer Sargent in 1880 of Mrs Jacob Wendell wearing a dress featuring this exotic form of embroidery. The Narana Heritage Museum in Tasmania is home to a treasured black corded silk two-piece dress trimmed with gold embroidery and beetle wings circa 1890. The embroidery was most likely worked at one of the embroidery centres in Madras or Calcutta, then shipped to England to be made up by R.N.D. Main & Co. Robes, New Bond Street, London. What's truly exciting is that remnants of the embroidered net and trimming fabrics from this dress are still with the dress well after 100 years, along with three paper patterns from an old catalogue specifically for beetle wing embroidery. One of the most famous now controversial beetle wing gowns was made uh, for Lady Curzon to wear at the 1903 Delhi Durbar. It became colloquially known as the peacock dress. More on that later. Women continued to wear the so-called western style beetle wing gowns into the early teens of the 1900s up to the 1920s, embroidered onto the typical colours of white, black, green, gold and now even pink. But the 1920s were its last hurrah. Purses and accessories continued to be manufactured, but the evening dresses of the 1920s simply couldn't bear the weight of the heavy metal embellishments that often went along with the beetle wing embroidery. The fantastical look of beetle elytra was, however, picked up by the costume designers for theatrical work and was worn for costume balls, which were popular in the late 19th century. In 1888, even Oscar Wilde's attention fell upon the delightful costume for Macbeth, featuring beetle wing embroidery. In 1889, John Singer Sargent painted a larger-than-life depiction of Dame Ellen Terry dressed in Alice Commons Carr's crocheted and bewigged design for the Lady Macbeth costume. And the dress still exists today.
Popular costume balls saw guests dressing up in beetle wings or (laughs) even as the beetle itself. One newspaper reported a drag queen donning them in her act in 1881. A startling article appeared in an 1898 issue of the San Francisco Examiner entitled Here's the Girl in the Wonderful Beetle Wing Dress. It was about American actress Adora Andrews, 1872-1956, who wore a gown for stage work in the late 1890s, reported to have 5,000 elytra sewn onto it. The article claimed, At that rate, if very many gowns were made of the material, beetles would soon become extinct in India. The material for this gown was given to her by an Indian prince. On his return to India, he had the material manufactured and sent it to her as a gift. The gown was fashioned in New York and bade fair at first to be more use as a curiosity than as wearing apparel. This apparently caused a newspaper sensation across the US and Canada until at least 1923, with the story being changed and exaggerated as publicity grew, dubbing Andrew's gown as her queer fancies in dress. However, the influence of stage costuming by Commons Carr most likely inspired designer Colleen Atwood in her work for the movie Snow White and the Huntsman in 2012, featuring a beetle wing embroidered dress made with silk taffeta and shreds of silk chiffon worn by Charlize Theron for her character Queen Ravina. In 2007, Alexandra Byrne used beetle wing, uh, beetle elytra on a historically inspired green damask gown for the movie Elizabeth, the Golden Age, worn by Kate Blanchett. It's very easy to see the appeal of this utterly beautiful, fantastical natural element for use in costuming on both stage and screen. In fact, it makes perfect sense. The colour alone draws attention, lending itself to unique and inspired possibilities and outcomes. But does it stop there? Of course not. In 2013, the design team of Aura Tautvu presented theatrical elytra studded garments down the runway. Not to be outdone, Belgium designer Dries van Noten took this a step further, creating faux elytra, another Victorian tradition, for his fall-winter 2015-16 collection. From the mogul empire to stage, screen and fashion runways, beetle wing embroidery continues to mesmerise and entice, even today. So, are the beetle wings ethically harvested? Is it harmful to the beetles? 
The beetles used for beetle wing embroidery have a very short lifespan of three to four weeks in their adult stage. So to avoid killing the beetles, only those that die naturally are collected. Many sales outlets promote the wings as ethically sourced. Now, back to the peacock dress made for Lady Curzon, probably one of the most famous beetle wing gowns ever made, and now also one of the most controversial. Lady Curzon and her husband were the viceregal couple in India, an extension of British power, now seen as a symbol of the subjugation of the Indian people. The dress, designed in 1903 by Jean-Philippe Worth of the House of Worth, as a respectful gesture to the craftsmanship of Indian artisans, representing the multiple facets of Indian artistry and also returning to the Mughal style of embroidery, combined with the sheer excess of British opulence. A. Jarvis noted this in... Beetle Wing Embroidery, an article in Embroidery, Volume 14, Number 3, 1989, page 135. For the Delhi Coronation Durbar in 1903, the Vice Reen, the Marchioness of Curzon, ordered a dress from Jean-Philippe Worth. She wished it to be a compliment to the Indian people and their traditions and yet be able to hold its own beside the sumptuous clothes and jewels of the Indian princes. Worth made for her the exquisite peacock dress embroidered all over with a pattern of peacock feathers in gold thread with a beetle wing forming the eye of each feather. The Delhi Durbar Coronation Ball of 1903, where the dress was worn, was a celebration of the 1902 coronation of King Edward VII and Queen Alexandra. Assembled from panels of chiffon embroidered and embellished by Delhi and Agra embroiderers using Zardozi, gold wire weaving embroidery and beetle wing embroidery, the fabric was then shipped to Paris where the dress was assembled and styled with a long train edged with white chiffon roses. A magnificent overlapping peacock feather motif, each with a blue-green beetle wing centre, was worked onto the panels, and although the metal thread has now tarnished, the beetle wings have not lost their luster. So opulent and dense was the embroidery that the overall weight of the gown was just over 4.5 kilos, or 9.9 pounds. It's preserved in a climate-controlled glass display case at Kettleston Hall, seat of the Curzon family in Derbyshire, along with a portrait of Lady Curzon as Vice-Reen of India, wearing the peacock dress and crown, painted by William Logsdale. So where does the controversy come into play? Unfortunately, on a number of fronts. One is the use of the peacock motive. The peacock throne was a famous golden throne built for Shah 
Jahan in the early 17th century, richly decorated, backed by representations of two open peacock's tails, gilded, enamelled and inset with diamonds, rubies and other stones. It was captured from India by the Persians in 1739, yet was symbolic of Mughal rule in India. The motive of a peacock feather is also an important Hindu symbol associated particularly with Lord Krishna and the goddess Saraswati. And the embroidery used was that traditionally worn by by Mughal court rulers and the wealthy elite. So even at the time, the use of the peacock motive was considered to be subtly political, perhaps presenting a visual sense of continuity, aligning British rule with Indian courts of the past, but also as a statement of dominance. The use of the peacock symbol was seen as disrespectful. That may not have been the intention, but seems to be the outcome when viewed by today's standards. The peacock dress was also seen as a symbol of British exploitation of India's resources and of the talented peoples of India. Britain did tarnish, even decimate certain sectors of the Indian textile market. Now fast forward to 2010 and a costume designer named Kathy Hay who wanted to recreate the dress documenting her work on her blog and YouTube channel. This has caused huge controversy in the Coztuber community with a post on the Her Hands My Hands blog outlining some of the details. On her own YouTube channel in September 2021, as a result over the backlash of her making of a replica of the dress, Kathy herself brings up the issue of the decimation of the Indian cotton industry by the British. In her video diary, she asks, what does the peacock dress mean? This whole saga is a fascinating insight into the modern day ongoing uh, politics and varying perceptions of the use of the peacock dress and one worth investigating if you have the time and energy. This has been yet another circuitous journey of discovery but one I knew would be fascinating. I have to admit, I couldn't resist the temptation of buying some of those glorious casings. The colour is unbelievable. Research suggests that while the elytra may be cut and pierced, steaming them first greatly facilitates the process as they can be quite brittle. Piercing from the front while positioned over a support such as a cork or rubber eraser is also worth noting. Jane Nicholas covers this in her book, The Stumpwork, Goldwork and Surface Embroidery Collection, as well as positioning for holes for embellishment using embroidery. There's just something about following in the footsteps of history when it comes to embroidery that I find utterly stimulating and uplifting. It simply means looking back to move forward. 
Thank you for your time. I hope you found this episode of interest and look forward to you joining me again soon. Stitch Safari's now reached over 6,000 downloads and that's all thanks to you. It's also been mentioned as one of the 20 best embroidery podcasts of 2021 by Welp magazine and listed in the top five textile industry podcasts as at September 2021 by Feedspot. And I'm extremely grateful. Please leave a message and subscribe to the Stitch Safari podcast. There's just so much more to discover and it's all so fascinating. I do post interesting tidbits on Instagram and Facebook from time to time, as well as book reviews and a blog on the Stitch Safari website. So do head on over. Till the next episode of Stitch Safari and my ever more exciting next adventure into stitch, embroidery and design. Bye for now. <music>